Hello, folks, and welcome to Hello, and welcome to a new and exciting two-part member series exploring how the Torah relates to the notion of natural law. Leading us is Rabbi Faur. Rabbi Faur is a rabbi of Kinesi in Manhattan Beach, Congregation Ohel Davido Shilomo. He was ordained by Rabbi Mordechai Liao and Rabbi Avram Shapira. He teaches Talmudic and rabbinic thinking in accordance with the Andalusian Hachamim and the teachings of his father, the great Hacham Jose Faur Ali Hamam. Rabbi Faur has also studied various scientific and philosophic disciplines. His work has been published in leading rabbinic journals, and he maintains an active presence on his YouTube channel. As usual, it is a pleasure to have Rabbi with us, and I highly recommend checking out his previous shurim. As mentioned, this is a member series, and while tonight is open to the public, the next installment will be members only, so I highly recommend joining us. With that said, thank you so much for all of us joining for all, for all joining us live and those who will be watching us after. And thank you so much for Rab it, to Rab Abe. The floor is yours. Thank you for that introduction. Um, a pleasure to be here. Um, and um, I'm understanding that most of the people uh, uh, on this class are from England. Is that is that a, a proper characterization? I saw at least at least I saw one thumb going up, so I know I wasn't uh, completely off the mark. But I see somebody writing it's global. Okay, so it is global. I see somebody from Arizona, uh, where I just was, uh, and um, I'm assuming this might be some people from Eretz Israel, uh, Wales. Okay, um, so okay, well it's nice to see all of you, and thank you for introducing yourselves on the chat and uh, telling me where you're from. Um, I'm going to be drinking a bottle of uh, French Evian water. I hope that the British are not going to be too offended. I know the Hundred Years' War might still be a uh, sore point. A hundred years is a long time. So while it was a very long time ago, but that was a whole century. Um, but I am thirsty and uh, I don't like the water uh, that comes out of the tap in, the, in my house. So this is it. Evian water it will be. Um, so, you know, when I was young, I saw this uh, comic. Uh, I was young and I was wild. Uh, so I used to look at comics. Uh, uh, so I saw this comic, and it was um, <laughs> so it was it was like two two images, one right next to each uh, to to each other. Um, one was um, um, a a lady who was trying to lose weight. You know, she was in a weight loss program, and she's looking at herself in the mirror. And the real image of the woman is whatever it is. And then in the mirror, she sees this fat, obese, horribly, you know, whatever. You know, and I don't, God forbid, want to embarrass anybody. We're not into fat shaming, of course. That is not uh, politically correct nowadays. And, and it's 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 a sort, of course, to hurt somebody's feeling. But that was just a comic. That was like, it was showing the irony how she sees herself, not in the real way. And then uh, right next to it, there was this man um, who, I guess, did a little exercise before. And in reality, he was really fat and, you know, <laughs> didn't look very good. But in the mirror, he saw himself as a muscular, you know, physique uh, athlete. Um, you know, it's interesting the way we perceive ourselves and the way we perceive the world around us. Oftentimes, there's a dissonance between what's happening in our mind and what's happening in the external reality. And that's one of the challenges that we have in giving these classes, because um, I'm going to tell you now that most people in the Western world, um, including myself, uh, I'm sure, uh, think in terms of metaphysics, because the language we speak is based on metaphysical thinking, right? Um, for example, the copula to be, was, is, that's just part of metaphysical thinking, where beingness 
is a primary focus of the mind, right? And the problem is that Judaism is not based on metaphysical thinking. It's based on a completely different form of thinking. So I'm going to tell you all, I want you to look in the mirror. Um, well, how do you do that? Because your mind is already conditioned by the Western world. So how can you possibly look around or look at yourself or analyze yourself and compare it to reality? It's, it really is a, a difficult task, I, I have to tell you. And when I talk about natural law, people get offended because one of the conclusions that I'm going to reach, and I'm just putting it out there now, so if anybody wants to like, hang up and maybe make a, you know, a loud noise as they hang up, you can do it. I won't get offended. I personally don't get offended. Um, but it's like that the idea of ethics is not exactly what people think. People think there's like an ethical reality out there, right? In, in metaphysical thinking, there is an ethical reality. I believe it was uh, Plato who speaks about there's the ideal of beauty. There's the ideal of justice. So we all have this, you know, you know, in our brains, right? Manipulating our thinking. So if I say there is no real ethics in the world, right? You're like, what is that? That's just so offensive. Um, years ago, I had a conversation. Uh, somebody came to my community in Ranana, not my synagogue, but it was just a community affair. And, and he was talking about ethics. Um, and then at the end, I kind of asked him a few questions. I was very polite. I really tried to be polite. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I have to emphasize it. But somehow... He was very offended by the questions and he stormed out. It was like, what just happened? I looked at my wife. I'm like, I just asked a couple of questions. Like people, so people are very sensitive because when you question people's frame of reference in reality, it's like people don't know. People don't want to do that. People don't want to be questioned. People are very comfortable in the zone that they're in and they don't want that zone, whatever the matrix is, Right. To some somebody say, hey, take this red pill. Right. You'll see something. Uh, people don't want to take the red pill. Inevitably, they will always take the blue pill. So I'm putting it out there. I want to discuss natural law with you. I think we have two classes. Right. Is that is it correct? Oh, had uh, two classes. Yeah. OK. So I think in this class, I want to just introduce you to the notion of natural law. It's really important to understand because if you don't understand it, You'll never be able to look in the mirror. You'll never be able to see yourself to understand your own thinking. So we got to go through that process, right? So I want to first I'll go through what is natural law. Um, once we do that, then we would be in a position to understand the Jewish alternative to natural law and why natural law and Jewish law, the concept of, and I'm going to be very specific, the concept of berit, covenant, right? incompatible with the idea of natural law, right? Those two realms are mutually exclusive. So let's get started, okay? And one of the, um, one of the primary ideas in the moral system, in the legal system of the Gentile nations, and also in the Jewish nation, admittedly, right, um, is the idea that there are natural obligations that are incumbent on all of humanity, right? And these natural obligations, they are part of the divine mind, right? The essence of God within the essence of God, there are these natural 
rules, right? Um, and they're also in the essence of man, right? So in a sense, there's a connection between God and man in so much as we are both under this rubric of uh, natural law. And I say we under the rubric because this rubric of natural law is almost like a pre-existing matrix, right? So there are rules of ethics, morality, there's right, there's wrong, there's good, there's bad, right? Okay, so there's this rubric or matrix, and God exists within that rubric as we exist within that rubric, right? So this is called natural law. That's why it's called natural, because it's just there, as as opposed to something that's created, right? Because there are things that are created. No, no, this isn't created. This is just part of nature, right? So uh, the classical period in Rome, let's go there they actually viewed natural law as authoritative for purposes of their legal system. In fact, one of the um, uh, primary pillars of Roman jurisprudence, according to Cicero, who was, uh, Cicero was one of the great uh, Roman jurisprudence, um, uh, was natural law, right? And he said that the natural law is actually identical to the divine mind. That's how Cicero um, puts it. And therefore, natural law, again, Cicero, because it's identical to the divine mind, it is as eternal as God himself. This law, this natural law, comes before society, comes before humanity, and comes before any type of legislation, right? Um, for the reason that God comes before all of these, and God is part of this natural law, God's mind is somehow natural law, and therefore everything that comes after God naturally comes after naturally comes after natural law. Okay, um, and now what makes natural law natural? Is that it comes to man by nature, right? The natu- naturally, naturally. Um, man understands natural law and will intuitively reach the conclusion that these are the actual laws, right? And these laws are absolute and they're eternal and they can't be undone. They're just there, right? Um, This, of course, leads to some historical problems because, like, for example, when the Spaniards came to um, the Americas, they discovered that the Indians um, in America, the natives did not uh, have the same natural laws that they did, right? Because the idea of natural law is that it's universal. All humanity has it. You just have to use your mind and delve deeply into your mind and you will conclude that these rules of ethics are correct and we will all reach the same conclusion, right? That's um, so, 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 so it poses a problem. What do you do with people who have different beliefs. What do you do with people who say, no, I don't believe in uh, in this type of ethics. I don't believe in this type of morality. So then natural law becomes uh, contorted because then you have to say, well, natural law is only accessible to the intelligent people, but the primitives, the natives, these barbarians, they do not believe in natural law because they're barbarians. And how do you know that they're barbarians? Because they don't believe in natural law, right? And how do you know that we're intelligent? Because we do believe in natural. So you understand the whole thing is a double talk, um, like most things in politics nowadays. And I guess for a, for a long time going, um, there's a lot of double talk in the world. Uh, but that's the idea of um, natural law being natural 
to man, right? God implanted these ideas in our uh, brain, and we can access the divine brain through our um, mind. Again, this is all Cicero. This is all Cicero writing about natural um, law. And, and, and because it is the divine, it is part of the divine mind, that's why it's universal. You, you see the idea? I Meaning, when we say that natural law is part of the divine mind, then it needs to be universal because God created the entire universe, right? And these rules, which are part of the divine mind, should be accessible equally to all men in all geographies, in all places, in all times, in all cultures, in all languages. It shouldn't matter. This is just part of the divine mind. So it would exist in Rome. It would exist in Greece. It would exist in, 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 in Jerusalem. Um, and it doesn't matter where you are and when you are. Um, furthermore, not only is natural law natural and universal, uh, forgive me for just trying to be a little uh, uh, mocking, um, I'll allow myself that latitude. Um, natural law doesn't require promulgation, right? It doesn't need to be promulgated. So let's say that there is a natural law, um, do not rob. Okay, let's put that as a natural law, right? Of course, we, we uh, well, the Jewish position is we are, we're not allowed to rob. Of course, we're not. Um, and it's one of Sheva Misof ben It's in the Torah, Aseret HaTiberot, Ten Commandments. It's also Sheva Misof ben So we're not saying that one should rob. Or rather, we're saying that for the Jews, um, the reason one should not rob is not natural, but because it's been promulgated by HaKadosh. But if I'm, we'll, we'll get into that, I think, into the second class. I want to explain the Jewish system in view of the natural law system. But in the natural law system, there is a rule, thou shall not rob. And because that's natural law, um, the authority, the political authority, the political establishment does not have the right to abrogate this law because it is a natural law, right? So um, um, a true justice is not achieved through man-made rules. True justice is achieved by establishing the natural laws, the divine laws, by divine laws, I mean the natural divine laws, as regulating man, right? And here's the thing. In this type of thinking, any person, any individual, can discover these laws on his own. So if you took a person, Robinson Crusoe, bad example, he was, he was abandoned, he was lost on the island when he was already an adult. You took a baby, you put the baby on an island, the baby grew up um, with the... Um, uh, monkeys, or let's say Tarzan. Well, that's a good example. Tarzan grew up in the jungle. Tarzan, being a human being, would be able to discover the natural laws naturally. He would. He does not need a teacher. He does not need a prophet. On his own, being a human being, he will be able to discover the true justice and the true rules that connect to us with God. All right? So there's an essence where we are part of God and we're connected to God almost in an ontological fashion, right? In so much as we can access those natural laws that are part of God's brain. Okay, I'm going to stop. Does anybody have any questions at this point in time? Right? Anybody have any questions? Um, Nice to see that there's somebody here from Jerusalem as well. I like that. And Wales, so there's England and Wales. So forgive my ignorance. Wales is in Scotland. Did I get that right? 
Okay, so there's two possibilities. One is that nobody's uh, audio works because they don't allow it to work during my class. The other is that I just made a very embarrassing mistake and you just don't want to highlight it. So it just, works, it works. <laughs> you could unmute, it works. <laughs> so where is Wales? Is that part of Scotland? No, it's another country near England. Oh, wow. Wow, okay. Well, I just learned something new uh, that I need to take geography classes. So there's England and Wales. So I guess Wales must be next to England. Are they both under the same monarchy? Legal system? They are. Okay, so part of the United Kingdom. Ah, there it is. I understand now. So there's the UK, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. Okay, good. So are there any questions until now? Everything is clear? I just want All to right. clarify. So um, the the natural law is authoritative also because of a intuitive connection to God's mind in humanity? It's authoritative because it pre-exists us. It, it's part of the natural order of the universe, right? And we can discover it through our mind, but it is coeval with God. It exists contemporaneously with God. It is as eternal as God because the divine mind is itself subject to the natural law system, right? Fine, fine. Okay, so let's now go to the theological. Let's look now at the church, uh, the early church fathers, okay? The early church fathers um, accepted the idea of natural law. Um, uh, also, the uh, scholastics, um, a principal um, pillar of the philosophical thinking of the scholastics was an acceptance of uh, natural law. I think that Thomas Aquinas referred to it as lex uh, naturalis, right? Um, lex nat naturalis being the eternal law that is, as Aquinas puts it, um, uh, the eternal law that is a part of the natural mind of man. Right. So again, you see the idea, any man by virtue of being man naturally will have access to this law. So this is the early church fathers and the scholastics. They accepted the idea of this eternal law that is naturally in the mind of man. And it somehow guides us in our actions, in our thinking. And this natural law is identical to the essence of God, right? That's important to understand, right? Again, God and natural law, the mind of God and, and natural law are somehow uh, the same thing. Um, the natural law is also the source. Again, we're talking about the scholastics. Before we talk about Rome, we spoke about Cicero. Now we're looking at the scholastics and the early church fathers. So the nat I want to show you the you know how this idea is they continued on through history, right? That's that's the purpose of this class, or one of the purposes of the class. So this natural law is also the source for other laws, right? Now, sometimes natural law can be revealed through prophecy. That's called lex divina. But the natural law that's universal can be discovered by anyone. So again, this is the um, this is the idea of there being a natural law system. So in the Christian thought, there were some divine laws, and those divine laws maybe were not natural, right? But then there was natural laws, and the natural laws can be discovered through prophecy, or just a person sits down 
he enjoys a good cappuccino or whatever. I know you can't. Oh, there it is. He enjoys a good cappuccino. He thinks the kids are not disturbing him. There's no noise in the room. And he can therefore discover the natural law in the mind of God. Um, furthermore, in the scholastic thinking, man-made laws are only binding if they are aligned with natural law. So you see, again, that idea is accepted as well. Um, furthermore, natural law does not require promulgation. Other, le- other laws need to be promulgated. Natural law doesn't need to be promulgated. And this natural law creates an ontological co- connection between God, the divine, and ourselves. Okay. Um, let's continue. Um, I want to point out something, and this is important for our purposes. Natural law is not mentioned in the rabbinic literature. It's not. It's mentioned very extensively in, as I I, I brought Cicero, that's one uh, Roman um, uh, legal scholar. I brought church fathers. I brought the scholastics. Um, later on, perhaps we'll go a little to the Muslim world where natural law was very um, important to the Muslims, to the Mutakalimun, right? We're talking about the early Muslim thinkers. Natural law is not mentioned by the Hakamim, right? Gemara, Sifra, Sifre, Mechilta, Midrash Rabbah, right? It's not mentioned. The Tosefta, Mishnayot, of course, not there. Uh, uh, and, and there's a reason for this. The reason that natural law is not mentioned by the Hachamim is because the Hachamim didn't recognize the authority of natural law, neither in the realm of law nor in the realm of ethics, right? There is no, in the entire uh, Talmudic corpus, there is no legal authority to natural law. Meaning, you can't come to a person and say, why can't you do this? And the answer, and this answer is given all the time, obviously, Zelo Musari. Zelo Musari doesn't mean anything in Jewish law. I'm, I'm not telling you what you should or shouldn't do in your private lives. I'm just explaining to you that Jewish law doesn't recognize the Israeli phrase, Zelo Musari. Okay? Um, we have a very ethical legal system, right? So I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say that we don't need to rely on Zillah Musali because we have uh, the entire Choshen Mishpat, which sets forth in great detail uh, Jewish, uh, what you would call Jewish ethics, right? Um, now, there are, in the Talmudic literature, many sugyot and many laws that are analogous to laws that are natural laws in the Roman uh, jurisprudence. Um, and, 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 and that's important because think about it. Let's say there's a particular natu- natural law, right? And it's in Roman jurisprudence. It's in the, the, it's in the Gemara, right? Interesting. The Gemara never relies on some natural law idea to support any of these so-called natural laws, right? You understand the significance of that. Um, 
uh, meaning the content in some cases is the same. There are some situations where we would say not to rob and they would say not to rob. And you would ask them, why can't you rob? Oh, natural law, ethics, morality, right? No, by us, uh, why can't you rob? We would not say Zelo Musari. We would say because the Torah says Lotigno, right? And we would have the Torah Shadda out there on the Pasuk Lotigno. So for Hachamim, even um, content of the Halakha, which is analogous and even identical, never it's never fully identical, let's say identical to content found in natural law treatises are always supported by the fact that they were commanded by Moshe Rabbeinu. They are part of the Jewish legal system, right? So it's very clear that the Hachamim had no interest in natural law, never used natural law, and I would say were opposed to natural law because you don't need natural law when you have a positive legal system or a promulgated legal system, or in the case of the Jewish people, where you have a berit from Sinai, right? So that's important. Now, um, we have, for example, in, in the Christian thinking, we have um, misvot, uh, misvot, right? Natural laws. We, remember I said that there are some laws that are natural that the human mind can discover. And then there's the divine laws, right? There was those two categories. I think I said that about 10 minutes ago. We didn't need that. Meaning we didn't distinguish between natural laws, which your mind will naturally discover um, if you have a white skin and a British accent or you speak Spanish and you're from Spain in the uh, 15th century, right? So the mind will naturally discover. We didn't have that category. And then there's the divine laws, which if it wasn't for Nebuah, you wouldn't know the divine law. So for example, Lotignov, that's a natural law. Sha'atnez, don't wear uh, wool and linen. That's a divine law. Of course, there's a distinction between the divine law and the natural law. In Christianity, you have that. In Judaism, you don't. Before we continue, I just want to make a, a small footnote. Um, when I say that in Judaism, you don't have that. Uh, what, I'm, what I mean to say is in the um, system of Torah given to us by Moshe Rabbeinu, transmitted through the Sanhedrin, uh, my door is creaking. Just let me close it because it's making a weird noise. Just give me a moment. Um, I apologize. I am back. Okay. Um, so um, the idea of a natural law versus a divine law in Christianity was very uh, common. In Judaism, we didn't have the idea or that dichotomy. But what I was saying is that I, I understand that some rabbis did go in that direction. I, I'm, I'm aware of empirical data, right? I'm just saying that's not part of the Berit system, right? But rather that's an infiltration into Jewish thinking from foreign sources, right? So, yes, there were, you, you'll, you'll see a lot about misvot sikhliyot, misvot shema'iyot. I know that, right? And like, I'm not pretending like that doesn't exist and it wasn't said. I'm portraying to you the classical Jewish system based upon Talmudic 
Judaism, right? As it was taught to us through Harambam, and then eventually, and my, my father, who was, um, I, in, in my humble humble opinion, was one of the great uh, exponents of this uh, form of Judaism, which is Judaism based upon the original Torah Shabbat that we received from Moshe Rabbeinu, as it was transmitted to the Hachamim over the generations, and then set forth in the Gemara, and then eventually through Harambam, and it reached us. So um, that's, I, I, I need to make that qualification. All right. Let's continue. Um, Let's take, for example, Sheva Misvot Ben Enoch, right? The seven Noahide laws, right? So the seven Noahide laws are obligatory upon um, all humanity. Uh, what is the reason that a Gentile is obligated to um, adhere to Sheva Misvot Ben Enoch? So naturally, if there was natural law, you would say, well, natural law. It's zemusari. Why can't you eat ever minachai? You can't eat part of an animal while it's alive. Um, uh, it's zelomusari. Um, of course, it's just not right. Um, you can take a gun and shoot the cow in the brain. That's okay. That's ethical. But to cut it is not. So the idea being that I'm asking a question. Now, let's see if anybody can answer the question. What's the reason that I can't eat ever minachai? What's the actual reason? Does anybody know? What's the reason uh, that a goy, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm correcting myself. What's the reason that a goy cannot eat ever minachai? What's the reason that a goy is not allowed to rob? What's the reason that a goy cannot commit adultery, cannot curse, cannot uh, curse Birkat Hashem, of course, I'm talking about, and, and uh, Abu Dazara? What's the reason for that? It's the result of a berit. Right, who's talking there? Uh, Yosef Lopez. Ah, Yosef, how are you doing? Uh, correct, but I want to even be more clear. And, and you are correct. When a goy adheres to Sheva Misot Ben Enoch, we say, Right, so a goy follows these rules. Why is he following the rules? From the perspective of the goy, if the goy follows the rules, because in his mind he's saying, "I want to be an ethical person," this is really weird, and I, I, I don't even like that. As a Westerner, I don't like that result. I'm, I'm, again, I'm just describing to you the the data. I'm not judging it, but that's the data. So, what is the mental state of the goy who performs shemim misopin enoach, and through that mental state he can achieve olam haba? What is it? You were about to say it, Yosef. He has to believe that he's performing these misvot because they were given to Hashem uh, through Hashem. I'm sorry, um, uh, through Moshe Rabbeinu, from Hashem, through Moshe Rabbeinu, and he believes in the revelation in Sinai. And as a derivative of that belief, he is performing these misvot. More anti-natural law than that, I cannot present to you, right? Um, so that's, that's interesting. Uh, so here you see that the seven Noahide laws have nothing to do with Musar, with Etika, Musari, Lo Musari, right? Uh, Smolani, Yemani, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's a legal system that is in a sense, uh, to be accepted by the Goyim, but it has to be accepted for the right reasons. Um, and 
I want to um, speak to you a little about logic, right? You know, we have the Yogimal Midot Shehatorah Nidreshet Bahem. So there are these 13 um, uh, rhetorical devices through which we can interpret the Pesukim and the Torah for purposes of uh, halacha. When I say we, I mean the Betin Hagadol of the Jewish people. So it's important to understand <clears throat> these are not rules of logic. We don't believe in absolute logic, right? Absolute logic, or what appears to us as be logical, is just a question of the language we speak, right? Uh, and, and there's a structuralist such as Roman Jacobson who's shown <clears throat> an intimate connection between the Aristotelian rules of logic, which everybody says, oh, that is logical, that is absolute logic, and the classical Greek language, right? So that when you get, again, when um, Westerners would reach the Americas and see the natives there, and, you know, the natives didn't think like them. So there's something wrong with the natives. Well, that could be. It could also be that perhaps the natives spoke a different language and had different categories of logic, right? So we we laugh at the Indians, that the Indians didn't have a capitalist system. I, I like capitalism, right? and I don't want to be misinterpreted. But it's like, oh, they didn't believe in land ownership and maybe you just didn't, maybe your thinking is also a result of a particular mental frame and a particular mental structure. Maybe they had a different mental structure, right? So it's important to understand even the Yod Gimal Midot logical rules. No, they're not logical rules. They're rhetorical rules through which we use to interpret text, right? So we don't believe in this idea of an absolute um logic. Now, let me also address another word that you find a lot in the Talmud, Sevara, right? Svara, Svara, right? And the Shiva will have Svara. So you have Sevara. Okay. So um when the Gemara refers to Sevara, the idea of Sevara is in no way analogous to the idea of an absolute logic or to a natural mind, right? Because we have the natural mind which understands natural law. Um, in, in, in Roman jurisprudence, uh, you did have the, the natural mind, right? Um, and there was the idea of logic was an important principle, a, a guiding principle. By us, these 13 principles are just rhetorical devices, right? Um, and when you have Sevara in the Gemara, Sevara is not binding on all people, right? Um, uh, Sevara is not more compelling than laws learned through these rhetorical devices. Um, in fact, if you have a Masoret and you have Sevara, Masoret tradition trumps Sevara logic, so-called logic, right? Right? They do that a lot. Svara, Svara. They always quote Svara. That's a big thing. When the Gemara, uh, there's a case in the Gemara um, <clears throat> of a person, this is in Masechet Cholin. <clears throat> Excuse me, just one moment. <clears throat> there's a case in the Gemara of a person who has a question from a Hakam, and the Hakam said it's forbidden, for example, right? According to halakha, you're not allowed to go to another hacham and ask him for his opinion, hoping that the second hacham tells you it's permissible. 
But if you ask a person Chacham, and you say, what's the reason that it's forbidden? Can you quote me a source? And he says, no, Sevara. And as I said, Sevara has a place where you have no tradition, then you will resort to Sevara. Fair enough. But in that case, it is permissible to go to a second Chacham and ask him for his opinion. So you see the Jewish attitude towards Sevara, right? It's not like the Roman attitude. It's not like the Greek attitude where they believe there are some logical principles out there similar to natural law somehow, right? We we rejected that. Um, no. Um, okay, let's stop for a moment. I said a lot. Um, let me see if there is uh, any questions. Is the Kalva Homer right? Um, I mean, it doesn't matter. Okay, I'm looking at the question. Is the Kalva Homer on the same footing as the other 13 Midot? Or is it more purely logical? And the answer is it doesn't matter because, again, these rhetorical devices, um, you know, there's uh, the idea, and I forgot who wrote about this. Was it Immanuel Kant who wrote about the antinomy of uh, reason? I, I think I have that right. You can check it up later. But anyway, the antinomy of reason, you know, whenever you use these types of logical principles, you can use them one way to achieve one result, use them another way to achieve another result. So even something like Kalvachomet, which seems very logical and and and, and fair enough, but not everything is kal You're going to see a lot of situations in the halakha where the kal is hamur and the hamur is kal, right? Many times, misvot uh, banan, hachamim are more machmenim than misvot oraita. So that, um, you know, again, we're not governed by absolute logic, right? Um, and, and, and it's very intelligent that we're not governed by absolute logic because one of the reasons that people get so, uh, you know, there's a lot of fighting and there's a lot of acrimony and there's a lot of hyperbola in, in uh, especially in political discussions, but, you know, in, in, within the Jewish people is because people don't understand <laughs> the fight here is not for absolute truth, okay? Um, that, that is not what the fight is about. The uh, you know the goal is to follow God's instructions to us to do so humbly. You know He gave us some instruction, you know, and and with with humility we accept those instructions and we want to try to fulfill them to the best of our ability. Right? That that is the the goal. Are these instructions logical? Um, I don't know. I mean, why can't I wear some linen with my wool? I, you know, don't know. Uh, so logic is not the issue, in my uh, in my opinion. Okay. Let's go next to the next uh, thing. I want to speak about the Karaites, right? Uh, the Karaites, they reject uh, the oral uh, tradition, right? They reject. For example, it says, le'ot al yadecha, le'totafot enecha. The, uh, the rabbinite Jews, they put the tefillin on their head. Ha, 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 ha. You know, it's because they have the Torah Shebe'al um, Peh. You know, um, by the way, the Torah never says tefillin. It says le'ot al yadecha, so... I'm not sure how the Karaites understood that. Le'ot means tefillin. And if ot means tefillin, then what does tafot mean? Wait, that doesn't make sense because it's two different words. So why is ot a tefillin and totafot a tefillin? How can I possibly resolve that? So let me use my logic. So the whole thing is double talk, right? I mean, of course you need Torah Shabbat And of course the Torah Shabbat is the basis for understanding the Torah Shemichlav. Without Torah Shemichlav, there is no Torah Shemichlav. I mean, you know, so the Karaites make a big, you know, oh, we don't, uh, we don't have the rabbinic tradition. It's fraudulent. It's this. We don't need it. Um, so they were obsessed with natural law. And I'm happy that that just makes my life much easier at the personal level, because when I see people descend into absurdity, it gives me great confidence in the fact that what I'm doing is correct. So the Karaites descended into the absurdity of natural law 
Um, and I want to talk about uh, that a little. Um, um, in, in fact, you know what? Um, le, well, okay. Let me let me start by saying that the Mu'atazila in the Muslim Mu'atazilites in the Muslim world, they believe very strongly in natural law, and the Karaim were very influenced by the Mu'atazilites, and therefore they also adopted the natural law principles, and they used natural law as a way to attack the um, the rabbinic. Uh, tradition. So for the Karaites, and this goes back to the Yagmidot that we were talking about, the 13 principles of logic, they always talk about kias. Kias is um, syllogisms. They have these logical syllogisms, right? And they use logic very, very strongly in their thinking. And they believe that kias, logical syllogisms, is a basis for reaching decisions in Jewish law, in Judaism. And this idea of logic absolute logic and kias, the Arabic word is kias, so they use kias to try to derive principles, it's based on um, uh, natural uh, natural law, okay? Um, uh, Rabbeinu Sa'adiagon speaks about it in his introduction to the uh, Torah, and um, I want to read to you what Rabbeinu Sa'adiagon says, um, and, and it's as follows. I'm going to read it in Hebrew, and then I will um, translate it. Um, the, the Karaites, they jumped on the, uh, meaning they adopted fully the belief in syllogism, syllogism as a basis for deriving laws. Because they didn't want to admit that we need Masoret, um, um, that we need rabbinic tradition. Well, if you don't use rabbinic tradition, how are you going to know what a piri aishadar is, right? I mean, how can you possibly know, you know, um, <clears throat> anything? How do you know what semit is? You know, semit is just a word, right? I mean, how do you know what semit is? How do you know what the, what sasit is? How do you know um, what any of them is? How do you know what shahitai is, right? So so, so we have tradition. So the answer is, well, you know, we, we receive the Torah and Sinai, and here we are. But by them, they, they, they reject that, right? So they, they needed to use kiyas. They needed to use these syllogisms. It was very important for them as a substitute for rabbinic uh, tradition. The Amru. Dayenu bahekesh. And the Karaite said, we have hekesh. We have these syllogisms, logic. Right? Not having read uh, the Antinomy of Reason by Kant. Right? There is no such thing as a tradition from Moses, that's ridiculous. Why would Moses give us um, a tradition of the Torah? Uh, what do we do in Ohel Mo'ed? Um, for the 40 years, we were uh, texting each other on WhatsApp and having arguments about whether Biden's uh, State of the Union speech was idiotic or not, and uh, whether what he said was true or false. Uh, 40 years in the desert, we were going back and forth on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we There was no Masoret from Moshe Rabbeinu. This is what the Karaites say. All right, that's the end of the quote um, of uh, Rabbeinu uh, Se'ad Yaga'on. So Rabbeinu Se'ad Yaga'on points out how the Karaites used logic as a substitution for rabbinic um, uh, tradition. Now, I, I, I want to be fair, and I want to be clear. Um, also in Muslim Spain, there were great, great, great hakamim from Andalusia who did have some aspects of natural law in their thinking. 
right? So um, the um, apex of this was in the great, who I love, Radenu Bahia Ibn Pakuda, or Ibn Pakuda, one of the greats, right? Um, before Harambam. Um, and then later on, uh, the idea of natural law um, it went into northern or Christian Spain as well. Um, and um, I want to read to you what the even uh, the Nasir Absheshat from the Babylonian um, Yeshivot, uh, very late, but nevertheless, I want to read to you what he says and what he writes. All right. So again, and, and you'll see how the, the ideas of the Mu'atazila, the early Muslims, and the Karaim, um, the Karaim having fully adopted natural law and using it to displace rabbinic tradition. But nevertheless, even within the Rabbinites, there were those who said, no, there is a place for natural law in Jewish thinking. So I'm just saying it so you understand it, because I don't want to, you know, uh, um, you know, not provide you with the proper information because you're going to need to evaluate things um, on your own, right? I said everybody's going to have to look at the mirror and look at themselves. I, I want you to have the full picture. That's where he goes. Uh, quoting from Sefer of uh, Rav Sheshat, um, Hanasi. And I myself, says Rav Sheshat, I was reading a book by Plato, um, he didn't read it, uh, you know, he read Plato. I mean, here we see it. Yes, the Hachamim actually read other books. I know it's hard to believe. Uh, please do not bring this to the attention of anybody in Bnei Brak because they will immediately have a big moda'ah that Rav Sheshat is in Cherem. They, they, if, they, if they found out that they read Plato. So I'm, I'm asking you please not to spread this idea uh, outwards. Um, uh, so I read the book of Plato where he speaks about the mannerisms of the mind we see that Plato forbade many things that were forbidden by the Torah. Uh, based on natural law, right? Uh, do not murder. These are things that the mind naturally will tell us to abstain from. Do not murder. Um, and then there was a misvah. And Plato says it's a mitzvah to give tzedakah, right? So lasot tzedakah mishpat, and that's analogous to our uh, mitzvah of uh, tzedakah, right? So there's a lot of things in Plato that he says are natural law, and you see them in our Torah. So you see how Rav Sheshat Hanasi, not Rav Sheshat in the Gemara, right? Okay. Rav Sheshat Hanasi is using or borrowing some of these natural law ideas and using them to kind of support the Torah or show the veracity of the Torah, you know, what, what, how, however you want to put it, it speaks for itself, okay? Um, and, 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 and there's many there's many cases. I mean, I, again, the distinction between misvot sikhliyot, misvot shema'iyot, it's all a natural law distinction. Okay, so now I want to make a transition. I am done with part one of the class. Uh, before I go to part two of the class in the seven minutes that I have left, I will open up the forum to any questions or comments. I believe that we started this class with 20 participants and we're still at 20 participants. I'm amazed that I didn't cause anybody to leave. Um, and I'm actually pleased by that. So, um, 
if there's no further questions, somebody's raising their hand. Yes, I'm sorry. Let me actually, I just realized I don't have a full view of everyone. I'm going to make a view. If anybody has a question, raise your hand, turn on your camera, shoot a comment, and I will try to answer it. Yes, sir. What is your name? I'm interested in whether natural law is based upon Plato's theory of forms. But it was really Platonic. The idea Plato had the idea of forms as essences for what is right and what is good, which is fixed. Or, I mean, did it come from that originally? Yeah, that's, first of all, it's a very interesting question. And I suspect the answer is yes, because, you know, part of the platonic ideals that there's actual yeah. beauty, for example, is actually yeah. a thing that exists out yeah. there. And any Absolutely. beauty in this world yeah. is but um, expression and oftentimes an imperfect expression of the beauty up there or justice. Yes. Yeah. I Absolutely. think that's a very, I didn't think of that connection. I think that's a good connection. And I would be interested in looking at that before I answer your question. But I, I suspect the answer is yes. Thank you, Rabbi. Yes, of course. Are there any other questions? Um, uh, that uh, I see somebody just pulled this up. Hacham, what do you think of Harambam on Shimon and Levi regarding Shechem? He seems to imply that there is some sort of natural principles. Uh, where does Harambam imply that when you say he seemed to imply? Are you talking about Elchot Melachim, where Haraman discusses Shimon and Levi and the fact that he killed the people of Shechem, uh, the predicate for that being Sheva Misopin and Och? Is that what you're saying? This is from the Habura. So I'm assuming that was Ohad who posted that uh, post. Ohad, if you want to elaborate on your question, you're welcome to do so. <clears throat> I will, I promise to be gentle. I will not. Be harsh in my answer. I will not bring it down to a personal level. Yes, that's what I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Yes, that was my that was the question. I was curious about that. Uh... Right. So what what about that implies natural law principles? He refers specifically to Sheva Misop and Enoch. That is the not predicate. natural law principles, but he seems to suggest that they would have known about something. They would. They should have known of these. Uh, of, of at least that specific principle without uh... right. right okay let me let me let me say the following there's a few things to say about that first of all, I just want to say that what Shimon and Levi did was um, from the perspective of Judaism abhorrent uh, Yaakov Avinu says so I just want to make that clear that um, that was not the proper behavior my father explained to me that what made that their behavior particularly abhorrent notwithstanding the fact that there was a predicate for what happened, they kidnapped uh, Dina. They they abused her, so on. Um, so that, put, putting that on the side, there was a proper way and there was an improper way to react to situations. That was an improper way to react to the situations, uh, primarily because. And this again, this is my father, Allah Shalom. He said that uh, they used berit milah, which is a holy thing, uh, the holiest thing that the Jewish people had. The misalagah from Abraham Avinu. They used berit milah as an instrument of warfare. I mean, just you know, inexcusable. You know, when you know Muslims um, sometimes they they attack Jews from from mosques, and we're 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 basar ourselves. But how can you do that? I mean, don't you respect your own religion? Why would you use a mosque as a place to store bombs or whatever, or to you know send missiles? So that's the idea there. How can you use a berit milah? You're making a mockery of your own religion. So that's why achar temoti. But the predicate in Hanambam was clearly the Shema Misop ben Enoch, which they violated, and therefore they were hayab mitah. So he doesn't imply natural law. But if you want to walk the record afterwards, send me a WhatsApp if you feel that I uh, mischaracterized something. I'd be happy to take a closer look at Hanambam. And now we have 
another question. How would you understand the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan and Eruvin that we could have learned different attributes? Yeah, so maybe I will, um, <laughs> maybe I will deal with that in the next, that's a, that's a nice, that, that, that's a nice thing that a lot of people quote and a lot of people uh, uh, bring. Um, and um, I would say, um, that, uh, for example, the book of, uh, you know, why, why look at Rabbi Yohanan, look at the book of Mishle, which uh, says, Lech el nemala asel, uh, go to, you know, oh, oh, you lazy person, go to the ant and look how the ant is working hard. And, you know, um, you know, together with the nemala, there's also the grasshopper, right? <laughs> which which doesn't work hard, right? At least in the cartoons that we grew up with. So the point is that there is um, intelligence in the world created by God, and you just have to look for it, right? So we're not saying that the nemala itself is somehow a source of inspiration. They were programmed by God, and we see a lot of intelligent things in the world. And there's a lot to learn in the world that God created, but it's not a natural world. You notice I didn't say there's a lot to world, learn in the natural world. Rather, there's a lot to learn in the creation created world precisely because it was created by an intelligent designer so look at the world you will see secrets and you will see you will be able to decode messages right uh, between that and natural you see but only <laughs> to believe i'm not talking about you of course because i know you're not the one who made this up um avi i'm talking about the people who uh, bring this uh, to believe that that's an evidence for natural law the predicate for that is to believe in nature, right? But the minute you say there's a creator who created and designed intelligently, then when you say there's intelligence in the world, well, well, yes, there's intelligence in the world, right? So that's not natural, right? So it's like, it's it's a circular reasoning. Um, I notice that Carolina is raising her hand. I invite you to ask your question. Okay, Rob. Um, my question is, uh, is there... Um, laws for the Bene Noah, they were given to Moshe, then in what was based the first destruction of the world? Why Hashem, if it's not a natural law over there, how Hashem, in, what was the basis? I don't know if the Talmud mentioned something for Hashem destroy the world in Noah's time. That's a great question. And, and the question is clear. Um, so just, just to be clear, I'm not going to answer the question completely, but I'll just give you a little more information that would help you. So according to rabbinic tradition, Adam Arishon received the first six of the Sheva Misop and Noach, right? The only one he didn't receive is Eva Minahai, but he received Lot Vesach, he received Lot Ignov, he received Lekat Hashem, um, uh, he received um, um, uh, Lotin Av, he received the uh, law of El-Kauchen Gohim, he received the law of Avodah Zarah, those are the six laws that he received, and again, the seventh law was given to Noach, Eva Minachai. so the laws were already, in a sense, given through Adam Arishon, Adam gave it to Shet, and Enosh, eventually it reached Metushelach, Lemech, and then Noach, so that there was some guidance, but I didn't fully answer your question, admittedly so, there's a lot of a lot to talk about, and I don't want to give it an improper answer. So I will acknowledge that the question is good. I gave you a little information, which hopefully gives you some light, but it didn't fully answer it. Next question, Rob Sher, you mentioned why the Karaites might need to rely on natural law. What was the point of Cicero's focus on natural law? Interesting question. Was he trying to find a way to justify people have... I, I think that he was just trying to make a connection between metaphysical thinking which is a part and parcel of um, Roman thinking. They were highly influenced by the Greek, Greek metaphysics, and the legal system. So he was trying to make that connection, right, between the legal system that he was presenting and 
Greek metaphysical thinking. I, I don't, I, I'm not aware of anything more than that. There could be something else. If there is, I'd be happy to hear it. And the last question. Oh, we answered that. Great. So, uh, ladies, gentlemen from the various countries in the world, uh, Wales, I learned something new today. That's great. Um, and uh, looking forward uh, to next week. Take care.